Well, good morning to you all. I have to admit, I'm pretty excited this morning. Not that I'm not always excited on Sunday mornings. But I'm particularly excited this morning because I get to preach on something uplifting. <laughs> now, those of you who've had the, uh, the, uh, been fortunate or unfortunate enough to hear me preach in the past may have noticed a certain pattern developing. Um, a month or two ago, I preached on uh, the, the sin of offense. And uh, yeah, that was a nice uh, light topic, wasn't it? And then we went to an even lighter topic a couple of weeks ago, and I preached on the wrath of God. So I suddenly realized I might be getting the reputation as the, the preacher of doom. You know, perhaps you're sitting here this morning thinking, all right, what's he going to preach on this morning? Hell? You know. Well, no, I'm actually going to be preaching on an uplifting theme, and it's the theme of hope. And that's why I'm feeling rather hopeful this morning that uh, we're going to have some laughs, we're going to have some joy in the room, because there really is a lot to be joyful about. Hope is a very, very interesting word. In fact, if you say it backwards, you get the word ipho, which means absolutely nothing. But it's hopefully given you some hope that today may be a fun sermon and something that we can sort of get our teeth into in a good way. So, Ipho, better known as hope. When we think about it, it's, it's hope that conquers despair. It's hope that realizes dreams. It's hope that rules out defeat. It's hope that says, I will never give up. I will never surrender. It's hope that says, tis a lesson you should heed. Try, try, try again. If at first you don't succeed, try, try, try again. It's hope that drew, drove back the dark forces of Adolf Hitler and the Nazis in World War II. With a little help from you guys towards the end there. But as Winston Churchill would said, you can always count on the Americans to do the right thing after they've tried everything else. He did kind of bail us out, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to leave it there. But it was, hope that, it was hope that won that war ultimately, wasn't it? You know, it, there was times where it didn't look like we were going to pull through, and it was the hope of the people when those people in London were getting blitzed for 40 straight nights. They never lost hope. They never gave up. And as Christians, as followers of Christ, it's the hope of glory that comes through Jesus Christ that should give us an unquenchable joy that cannot be put out by the trials and sufferings that we go through today. So, we've been in a, a, a sermon series on Romans, covering, we're covering chapters 1 through 8. That is uh, the point of our series, and it's entitled The Good News, because at the center of the book of Romans is the theme, the good news, the gospel. And... Um, so far, we got up to about chapter 4. Last week, Sean preached on faith, uh, based out of chapter 4. And of course, that concentrates a lot on using Abraham as an example of uh, faith and the fact that it was credited to him as, as righteousness. And so in those early chapters, chapters 1 through 4, uh, certain words we get recurring are belief and faith. Those are very much theme words of those chapters. 
But also, if you remember, when I was preaching on the wrath of God, I tried to explain that um, sometimes you have to go through the bad news to get to the good news and to really appreciate the good news. And that's kind of what Paul does. If you look at chapter one, it's a, it's a heavy chapter. Okay, Paul's kind of explaining what's wrong with the world, how depraved we've got, I just, you know, where, where sin leads, all these kind of things. He's getting us to a place where we understand our need for a savior and our need for redemption. When we get to chapter five, which is uh, what we're going to be looking at today, there's a kind of, there's a turning point in Paul's, um, what Paul's writing about here. Um, chapters five through eight, all of a sudden we get a word that crops up 24 times, and that's a lot for four chapters, and that word is life, life, okay, and this should, this should give us an idea of what Paul is one us to think about here, life, the life that is to be found through Jesus Christ. So, having said that, why don't we open our Bibles so you follow along on the screen. We're going to turn to Romans chapter 5, and we're going to read uh, verses 1 through 11. And then we're going to jump in and try and unpack a little bit of this passage. So here we go. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him. For if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Amen. Let's pray. Spirit of the living God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that is here in your word, Lord. Would you help us to delve into your word today, Lord? Would you show us and reveal what it is that you want this text to speak to us today? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The opening part of this this passage here, Paul basically outlines two blessings for us. He says, we are justified by faith, and this gives us peace with God. So our first blessing is that through our faith in Jesus, we have peace with God. It's important to understand that because um, until we receive Christ, until we accept into our life, we're actually enemies of God. That's what he says in there. Now, it's important to understand what does that mean, enemies of God. It doesn't mean God hates you or me. No, God loves each and every one of us with a burning passion. He created us. We are his children. It's not us, it's the sin living in us that God hates. And because of just how holy and righteous and just he is, 
It's the sin that creates that problem. Okay? It's very important to understand that. Through Jesus, we avoid the wrath and judgment of that sin living in us. Okay? That's what sin causes. It causes separation from God. And that's what causes the judgment and the wrath. Paul says we are justified by faith. Justified by faith. What does justified mean? I bring this up because I know for a long time, these words would confuse me. Justification, sanctification, glorification, all these ifications feel like you need a vacation, right? <laughs> what does it mean? You know, it can, you know they, they get a little Christianese, a little biblish, you know. But they're all over the New Testament. Paul uses these words a lot, doesn't he? And actually, what we need to do is we need to go back to the Old Testament to trace where these words have their root meaning. So what is it to be justified? Well, it's to be made righteous. What is being made righteous? Because that's just as confusing as justified. <laughs> well, the, uh, the Greek is borrowing uh, righteous from the Hebrew. So let's go back to the Old Testament. And we're going to find that, again, it's this word is wrapped up in terms of thinking in a judicial sense, thinking of a court, of a judge, and, and, and people being uh, judged either gu- uh, guilty or innocent. So if we look at uh, Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 1, and it says, When men have a dispute, they are to take it to court, and the judges will decide the case, acquitting the innocent and condemning the guilty. So the judge acquits the innocent and condemns the guilty. The theologian Millard Erickson says, Justification is God's action pronouncing sinners righteous in his sight. We have been forgiven and declared to have fulfilled all that God's law requires of us. Now listen to that last sentence again. We have been forgiven and declared to have fulfilled all that God's law requires of us. So it's not a case of that, you know, once Jesus comes into your life, you stop sinning, and all of a sudden you sin no more. No, I mean, the fact of the matter is, we're probably going to step outside this door and sin. You might be sinning right now, sitting in your chair. We're full of sin. It's kind of what we do. All right? It's part of being human. We sin. Okay? So Paul's not saying you're going to stop sinning once you accept Christ. No, what he's saying is that the penalty for sin has been paid in full. In full. That's a very important part of the sentence there. Okay? In full doesn't mean past up to February 9th, 2014. No, no. It means past, present, and future. So that means every sin you've ever committed and every sin you will commit has been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's a pretty amazing realization to come to. Not that it gives us freedom to therefore go on sinning, as Paul talks about, right? It doesn't mean, oh, cool, I can do whatever I want. No, no. But it's saying we are no longer under that penalty that sin carries with it. Jesus is the one. He served the prison term for us. He's done the time. He took the lethal injection. He went to the gallows for us. He served that sentence. So that's the first blessing Paul gives us in that part, okay? We have peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ. The second blessing Paul talks about is the hope of glory. Hope of glory. What does that mean? Well, to understand that, 
we have to realize that our hope is not based on this. It's not based on this world and what this world has to offer. It's based on the eternal. Here's the temporal and all the world has to offer. And there's the, there is the eternal. We have to focus on the eternal. That's where our hope lies. If our hope just lies in here and today and what the world has to offer, we will always be left wanting. I mean, we hope for plenty of things, don't we, in life, right? We hope for a nice car. We hope we'll find a nice house. We hope uh, we'll be fortunate with finances. Maybe we hope we'll win the lottery. We hope we'll meet a good spouse. We hope we'll have children. You know, we have all these thoughts. We hope we'll get that job promotion. We hope we'll just get a job, right? We hope, we hope, we hope. We hope the Patriots would win, but they didn't. <laughs> we got any Red Sox fans in the house? Of course we do, right? <laughs> it's Waltham, okay? How many people in this, in this room were hoping the Red Sox would win the World Series? Really? At least two of you, okay. <laughs> Somehow I think there's more than that. And I'm sure there was many people in this room, in Waltham, in Boston, in Massachusetts, in New England, who were hoping the Red Sox would win the World Series. And guess what? They did. Woo! All right. They won the World Series. And what happened the day after they won the World Series? Nothing. Right? You all went back to work, got on with your day, and nothing changed. Right? You'd put your hope in the Red Sox. They won, did the best thing they could, and nothing changed. Okay, sure, yeah, I might have got like a little World Series uh, t-shirt guy, and I'll not talk about why it's world. Um, but <laughs> nothing changed, right? And that's because we don't put our hope in this. Because if that's all there is, then God help us. Literally, God help us, right? No, no, no. We're focused on the eternal. And that's where our hope of glory lies. Okay? That's right. If we focus on the eternal rather than the temporal, then we can have hope in our hearts. We can also have hope, and this is why Paul links these two together, in our suffering. Because that's what Paul talks about, right? He says, with hope of glory, but also we hope in our suffering. Hope in our suffering. What does he mean by that? Well, again, we mustn't misunderstand Paul. He's not saying that we um, rejoice in our suffering. That's not what he's saying. No, he's saying we rejoice in what suffering produces. Okay? That's the important thing to remember. When we rejoice in our sufferings, we don't rejoice in suffering. We rejoice in what it produces. Now, there are many forms that suffering can take. And... Nobody in this room has not experienced suffering. It is part of the human condition. We cannot go through life without suffering. It's impossible. If you've ever loved anyone, you will suffer. If you have a mother, a father, a sibling, a friend you are close to, you will suffer because part of life is death. That's one of the consequences of sin. But again, our hope is knowing that death is not the end. Suffering can take usually mainly two forms. Some kind of physical suffering. And we know there are 
many people who suffer physically. We have people in our church who are suffering through some awful illnesses, life-threatening illnesses, things that are, are bringing grief to families. There's also anguish and mental suffering, psychological suffering, which as anybody who knows who's, who's grappled with that is just as bad, just as deadly. Depression, anxiety, feelings of shame, self-condemnation. It's suffering, suffering. For, um, for those of you who may not know, um, Sarah, my wife, and I, that's just two of us, not in a... Sarah, my wife, and I. My wife, Sarah, and I. <laughs> Don't promote that at this church. We've actually, uh, we have our own suffering that we're going through. For those of you who don't know, we've been trying to have children for about almost nearly six years. And uh, we've gone through a lot, of, um, a lot of battles in fertility treatment. There's the physical side. Um, Sarah had basically been um, diagnosed as um, on the way to getting cancer if she didn't have immediate medical surgery. And almost six years into the journey, we still don't have an answer. We still don't um, know if we will ever have our own biological children. And it's taken us on a journey from uh, feeling despair, feeling angry, feeling bitter, asking why, Wondering, is it something we've done? Is God punishing us? We've gone through all these emotions. We've gone through fear. And Sarah was, was diagnosed with um, some very serious conditions. We've gone through that whole span of emotions. Gone through bitterness, resentment. But God has taken us on a journey. From that place to a midpoint, to coming through the other end, through that suffering. We never lose hope. We never give up. Because our hope is not in whether we have our own child. Our hope is in, is God faithful? Is he just? Is he, is he for us? And we know he is. Not only that, but when we first embarked on deciding we wanted kids, and you know, it's funny, when before you've struggled with trying to have children of our own, you just presume it's going to happen. You take, you take it for granted. You think, oh, you just you have kids. Everybody has them, and it just happens like that. Okay? But after finding out that didn't happen, we were at a place initially where we hadn't even thought about or um, entertained the idea of adoption. I can honestly say now we are at a place where we are seriously considering adoption. God has changed our hearts on that. He's brought us to a place of not only thinking about adoption, but wanting to adopt and deciding that even if God blesses us with our own biological children, we want to adopt anyway. So God has changed our hearts. He's brought us through that suffering to a place of acceptance, of saying, Lord, you are king, you are sovereign, you are in control, and nothing is impossible for you. But you see what happened? It was a process. And this is what Paul talks about when he says there's a succession to suffering. 
Why do we rejoice in our suffering? Because suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. Hope. Let's take a look at each one of those those, uh, characteristics. Perseverance. This is a fun one for me because um, as a piano teacher, I have a lot of kids, um, and the last thing they want to do is practice. (laughs) Right? Why can't I just play like you straight away? Yeah. <laughs> and it's because perseverance, it goes against our culture today of like instant gratification, right? It's really counter our society today. We want it now. We want it actually five minutes ago. You know, we're on, trying to get the internet. It's like, oh, it's taking so long. Yeah. I would tell my kids there's the three P's of learning any musical instrument. Practice, patience, and persistence or perseverance. It's sticking at it. Eugene Peterson um, makes a, a very interesting observation. Eugene Peterson is the, uh, the translator of the message, which is the con- contemporary translation of the Bible. And um, he makes the point that it's very easy to get somebody interested in the gospel. Keeping them interested is a totally different thing. Okay? There are many people who come in the doors of this church and churches around the country who will step foot inside a church for one week and will never come back. Because they got interested. Somebody sparked their interest. They said, hey, you should check out this. You know, you, gotta, you need to check Jesus out. And they come for one week, but the interest is not sustained. And it's because they're not willing to persevere. They're not willing to dig in and see what's really required. Eugene Peterson, he goes on to say, and I quote, there is a great market for religious experience in our world. And that's very true, isn't it? When you look around at all the different religions and things we can, uh, they're on offer to us, right? There is little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue, little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in what earlier generations of Christians called holiness. When we realize our walk with Jesus is an apprenticeship. He is the master, and we're the disciples. And we're on a journey that's lifelong. And it doesn't stop with this life. It goes on forever and ever and ever and ever. And that, you know, how, how cool is that? It's just this onward journey with God that lasts forever. But we need to persevere. Perseverance creates character. <clears throat> Now, character is an interesting word. When I looked this up in the dictionary, there was a lot of different meanings for character because it depends on the context, right, that the word is used. So the one that stuck out to me in the dictionary was uh, strength of mind, resolution, or moral strength. But in the biblical context here, that word character, it means the experience of going through a test to see a result. All right? Going through a test to see a result. So the suffering and the perseverance are a test of character. Okay, It's like, do you have the character to come through this? God is refining us. He's forging us through the fires of suffering and perseverance. And we get that. It's a natural result. If done in faith is hope. What's another word for hope? Expectation. As Christians, we have an expectation. We have a belief that God is working for our good right? God is working for our good, and he has the wheels 
of redemption are in progress. And he is making all things new. That is our expectation and our hope as followers of Jesus. Hope needs to be exercised. Not exorcised, but exercised. Right? It's like our bodies. It's like the muscles in our body. It needs exercise to flourish. And one of the ways hope is exercised is it's exercised through suffering, perseverance, character. Now, hope has two siblings. Anybody know what they might be? Amen. Faith and love. It's part of, there's three of them, faith, hope, and love. You remember, uh, <clears throat> remember back in the Old Testament, the times of David, and uh, David's just having all this military success, and the Lord's really blessing him. And the Bible talks about the three mighty men of David. How cool is that? That, that always fascinated me, the three mighty men of David. I mean, these guys must have been some serious warriors, you know, the three mighty men of David. I, you know, it sounds like it would make a great movie, wouldn't it, you know? From the producers of Transformers comes David's three mighty men. I mean, whoa, it's just good stuff, isn't it? You know, I can, I can really, I'm casting people in my head. Well, he could, you know. You know imagine that, though, being one of those guys, you know. Hi, we are the three mighty men of David. Tough, toughest, toughest. Bad, badder, baddest. Good, bad. And I'm the ugly. I know what you're thinking. Did I fire six or was it just five arrows? You have to ask yourself one question. Do you feel lucky, Philistine? Do you? And these guys are like, Ooh. the three mighty men of David. Just like we have the three mighty men of David, we have the three, what I call the mighty virtues of the Christian way, of the Christian walk. Faith, hope, and love. And one gives birth to the next, right? Faith. What does Hebrews 11 tell us about faith? Faith is being sure of what we hope for. Okay? Faith gives birth to hope. And hope gives birth to love. And all three interact. And of course, love is the greatest of the three. As Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 13. Love, if we do not have love, then nothing else matters. Nothing else counts. We don't do it in love. If we don't have faith in love, if we don't hope in love, then all is lost. What does Paul go on to say? He says, hope does not disappoint because God has poured out his love through the Holy Spirit. So hope doesn't disappoint because we have God's love in us. He says, God pours it out. You know that word pour? To me, that the word pour doesn't mean it's not like he's giving you a little drop of love. Okay, here you go. Just a just little drop for you. Don't use it all at once. Okay, spread it out. No, he's, he pours his love onto us. Okay, I get this image of like, you know, like a big Viking feast. You know, you've just been out to battle and you've just, you know, you've, you've won the battle and you, you come back and you've got, your, you've got your, your chicken legs and you've got your big tankard of mead and you've, it's just gone all dripping all over your beard. It's just <laughs> sticky mead everywhere and it's just, it's been poured out. It's an overabundance, right? God doesn't just give us a little smidgen of love. 
All right? He pours it out on us. This draws us back to Joel, book of Joel 2.28. And this is a great passage. It's such a prophetic passage. Um, Turn there if you've got your Bibles open. Joel 2.28 and 2.29. He says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. There it is again. I will pour out this overabundance, this whoosh. Okay? Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. We are living in those days. Can you accept that? Can you, can you take that in? We are living in those days. We're living in the days God has poured out his spirit. His spirit is upon you right now. His spirit is in this room. It's indwelling you. If you've said yes to Jesus, that Holy Spirit is in you. Make you want to just dance. That's my hope dance. You know, that's my hope dance because when I do that, people say, I hope you never do that again. <laughs> God pours his love out onto us. God's love is poured out on us. What does that mean? Well, what is God's love? The cool thing is we don't have to look very far to find out what it is. Paul says that God demonstrated for his love for us But while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners. Paul throws in there, at just the right time, okay? Another expression for uh, time, there is appointed season at just the right time. When was the right time for God to do this? When we were completely helpless. When have we been helpless? Always. That's what we have to realize, yeah? We, we are helpless in this world, and we're going to, whether we want to or not, we're going to serve something. Well, let's talk a lot about freedom. Okay, freedom is a, big, is a big word, right? We're free. Freedom. You know what? None of us are free. Why do I say that? Because again, as Eugene Peterson mentioned, we're a society of whiners and complainers, and we're a nation of addicts. Whatever it is, we're a slave to something. So it's not really a question of freedom, but it's more a case of which master do you want to serve? You can serve the master of this world and everything the world has to offer, or you can serve the one true living God. And that's actually where your freedom lies. You see, we were born, we were created to serve and to worship. We have to accept that. And that's not a bad thing. That's actually, we will find our deepest happiness and contentment when we realize that we are meant to worship and serve God, to glorify Him. That's where our deepest, deepest hope lies. Coming to that realization is a whole different matter, right? Because there's so many temptations, there's so many things drawing us away from God every day, all day, all the time. But when we realize we are helpless, that's when we can call out to God. And he's there. How does God make this happen? Well, it all happens through Jesus, doesn't it? That's, that's the key right there, Jesus. He is the doorway to freedom. He's the doorway to the hope of glory. He's the doorway to eternal life. Life, life, life. 
The last part of this passage uses the word reconciliation a lot. Okay, to be reconciled to God. That word reconcile means to uh, reestablish a friendship that was, that was broken. It means to bring back together, reconcile. Because as I mentioned earlier, before that we were enemies of God. His wrath was still upon us, okay? But now, God is gone and we're brought back to that place that he originally created us for, right? Which was for just wonderful communion with him day in, day out. The other wonderful thing about reconciliation is it's a relationship word. It's a personal word. And that should bring home to us that our God is a personal God who is genuinely and deeply invested in each and every one of our lives. Everybody in this room. He's not an impersonal God. He's not a God that only sees the big picture. He's not concerned with the little things. Do you know God is concerned with every, every aspect of your life? He knows the number of hairs on your head. It's insane. This is our God. This is who we worship. So what is the hope of glory? What do we put our hope in? As I said, it's the reality that when we give our life over to Jesus through faith, what happens is we get transferred from this temporal world into an eternal world that lasts forever. Do we really understand that? There's a transferal goes on. where We're taken out of the sinful world. We're not taken out in the sense that we don't have to live through it. But when you look in the grand scheme of things, most of us, if we're lucky, will live 70, 80, maybe 90 years if you're really lucky. Let's put that up against eternity. It's absolutely nothing. It's over in a breath. What does Ecclesiastes say? It says that it is a, a, a mist, a breath. Life is over like that. Remember your parents telling you when you were little, oh, you wait till you get older. Time flies by. It seems to speed up. And it really does, doesn't it? The older you get, you realize, wow, those days are flying by. But when we get our heads around the fact that this is not all there is. No, it's just the tip of the iceberg. Our hope of glory lies up there. What we have to do is we have to get over the seeming unreality of the spiritual life. It's hard to get our heads around that sometimes, isn't it? That there is a whole spiritual reality out there that is removed from here. It says, Dallas Willard says, um, <clears throat> we have to, it's the overwhelming presence of the visible world. Right? This, this visible world here uh, bombards us, doesn't it? And it likes to keep us in a box where we stop thinking about eternal things and the spiritual realm and what really does last eternally. Very, very easy to get caught up in what's going on in the world and forget the eternal. Quoting Dallas Willard, he says, Few people arise in the morning as hungry for God as they are for cornflakes or toast and eggs. <clears throat> and that's very true, isn't it? Yeah, it's true for Aaron. There you go. <laughs> we wake up in the morning, right? What's the, do you wake up thinking, Oh, Lord, I am, give me more of you, Lord. Give me more of you. Please, Lord, I just want to be filled with you. I want my day to begin with you. 
Or is it more like, do we wake up thinking, I wonder which bills have arrived today. I wonder how many voicemails I have that I don't want to answer. I wonder what's going on in the world. I wonder what's going on Netflix. You know, I wonder what's for breakfast. If we really, really understood it, we would wake up with a burning hunger in us that would just be unquenchable, you know? We'd, we'd be jumping for joy all the time, right? You'd be one of those people, you know how you meet somebody and they're, they're annoyingly really happy all the time? <laughs> <clears throat> and you kind of get suspicious, don't you? You're like, are they, are they happy all the time? Do you need a good dose of misery? Yeah. <laughs> We get, suspic- we get suspicious, don't we, of like, people who are joyful all the time. We just think, that can't be true. You know? And, you know, in a sense, I get it, right? It's, it's New England, right? I'll let you into a little secret. Because of the nature of what I do, I'm either leading worship or sometimes um, <clears throat> preaching here. And so I'm one of the few people who gets to do this all the time, to look out at the faces of the congregation. And, okay, I'm going to be honest. Sometimes a little bit of this. A little bit of that. Be a little bit of that, a little bit, okay? Now, I get it, I get it. It's a New England thing, right? Yeah, it's New England. That's what they say, New England. Well, let me tell you something, right? New England, old England, original England, <laughs> all right? I get it. I get the stiff upper lip thing. I, I get that. Oh, don't, uh, don't let your feelings out. As, uh, the majesty would not approve. Uh, keep it together, man. Goodness gracious. No. Look, if this brick can make a fool of himself in front of you right now, we can all do it, right? Why? Because we have the hope of glory in us, right? We've got the hope of glory in us, right? Think about that. Think about it, the hope of glory in us. If somebody told you tomorrow that you'd won the Mega Millions, right, and it was one of those ridiculous rollovers where it was like four, $500 million, and they said, yeah, you've won the lottery, congratulations, do you think you'd sit there and go, yeah, 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 amen, yeah. No, you'd be jumping up and down, right? Going nuts. That's just money. My father always says, you can't take it with you. Here's something you can take with you. And this will last eternally, the hope of glory. 